I'd like to personally welcome you to Community Bible Church. We're so glad to have you with us, getting ready to worship the Lord together, open God's word together as a church. Looking forward to all of that this morning. We're going to start our service as we have in weeks past with our first song. Today we're going to sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So if you would, let's stand together and sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God. mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be Oh, so- 
Let's bow together before the Lord. Our Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks and that you have made us to receive what you say so that we can be guided by your words. You spoke the world into existence and then you spoke to the first man and woman having made them in your image and having given them the privilege of interacting personally with you. So we're able to pray to you now and to hear from you later in your word. Father, we're thankful that not only are you the communicating God, but that what you say is always true. Without that confidence, we would be lost, we would be adrift. But we can look into the pages of your word to find guidance for our lives because your word is truth and you are incapable of lying. It's not just that you do not lie, you cannot lie because your holy nature will not allow it. But Father, though we're your children and so we are people of truth, we also still struggle with the nature of our old father, the devil, the father of lies. And so we find ourselves at odds with the truth, both about ourselves and others and about our circumstances. And so we need your continuing work in our hearts, God the Holy Spirit, to convict us of failing the truth and to motivate us to speak it and to live it. And we thank you, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, because you paid for every false word we have spoken or will speak. And because we have a secure relationship with our God, because of you, we can speak the truth with confidence, without regard for the consequences. Because the most important relationship we'll ever have can never be severed. And so, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we have gathered as your people of truth, who are so because you are the God of truth, and we've gathered to praise you for who you are and all that you've done for us. We pray that all we do today will reflect your truth and that you will be pleased with it, for it's our sacrifice of worship offered to you. And we ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you, and please be seated. items to register for and things like that so if you're our guest uh, we are glad that you're here don't hesitate to reach out to us let us know what you'd like to know more about or how we can help you and then as well if it's your first time here with us or if you've not done what I'm about to describe community area and let them know that you're new to CBC and we have a gift that we'd like to give you to say thanks for being with us today. So there are several events coming up that I want to draw your attention to. We've got all our regular complement of things going on this week, teens, children. You can find that on our website and on our church calendar on our website there. But I want to call your attention to these things, highlight them for you. 
Um, we also mention all of these events in our weekly email, our newsletter that comes out every Friday. So if you're not subscribed to that, you can use this connection card to get to uh, the CBC Connect, rather, to 97,000 to get to our connection card. And there's a box to check there for subscribing to our email newsletter. First of all, I want to uh, just highlight for men who attend our men's fraternity that normally meets on the second and fourth Fridays uh, of every month but they are gonna have this next normal date that they meet off on the 23rd of July. Just make a note that there will be no meeting that night. I also wanna to call to your attention our next family meeting, known as, also known as business meetings, uh, that we'll be getting together for on Sunday. That's going to be at 1.30 via Zoom. And so uh, we will go over several items uh, for future plans, current business, as well as a quarterly financial report. So members, please make plans to attend that, and you'll be receiving an e a link via email uh, as we get closer to that meeting. And then in August, we have two events coming up for our Crossroads class. That's our young adult class uh, for young adults, college students, young professionals. Um, and those are both Saturday August 8th and Sunday, August, sorry, Saturday, August 7th and Sunday, August 8th. On the 7th, you can see on the screen there that we have uh, a conference called Issues in Focus. And this is a, a conference for young people discussing various topics that have to do with a Christian worldview and how what we learn from God's word uh, affects how we interact with and view our that we live in. I apologize for that. I'm not sure if I'm doing that. Um, so that is on August 8th, and that does require a sign-up. So if you plan to go to that, Crossroads uh, members, do go to our website. There's a link that you can use to sign up. Sure, let's do that. Thank you. Not sure what it is. I might have, I had some part in connecting this on my own today. Maybe I messed something up. Uh, then the next day after the Issues in Focus concert is a Crossroads bonfire at the banks. So Crossroads members and their guests are invited for Sunday evening bonfire August 8th at the home of Caleb and Jared Banks. And so uh, mark your calendars for that, students. It'll be a good time fellowship for you. And then for four Sundays in August, beginning on August 15th, during the Discovering God Hour, we're going to have our periodic newcomers orientation. And uh, this is for anyone who'd like to know more about CBC. So if you're new around here, uh, or even if you're new within the last year, we haven't offered in a little while. So make plans to attend this class. You can visit our website, cbctrenton.com. Click on the link for newcomers, and there will be a button there to join the class. That will enroll you in the class, and uh, we'll make sure you have the right materials and schedule and any notices that we send out. And then another event... I think this is my final one in August. On August 20th, a favorite event that we do year after year is uh, we've reserved seating at the Toledo Mud Hens game on Friday, August 20th. So section 119, the same section every year we go and sit there and cut up and enjoy fellowship and sometimes we even watch a baseball game. So it's a lot of fun and uh, the tickets are a little bit discounted because we go as a group. So check out that at our church website as well. You can click there to reserve as many tickets as you need. And tickets are for children three and up, uh, basically any child that's not gonna sit on your lap, you're gonna sit in a seat. So you can reserve those on our website. And any of these things, if you wanna know more about them, go to our website or again, you can text CBC Connect to the number 97,000. 
And I just want to remind us as a church family then in this part of our service, uh, this is where uh, the time where we remind each other that all that we have is given to us by the Lord. And as stewards of what he's entrusted to us, we purpose to set aside a portion of what he's entrusted to us each week to devote to the work that he's doing here through CBC. So if you're our guest here, as I mentioned earlier, we didn't invite you to come here and ask for money. In fact, we have a gift for you, but I wanna remind our CBC family that there are several ways you can give. Um, there are boxes here, physical boxes to give in near our welcome desk. There's one as well as outside of the building by the office that's available all week long. As well, you can give online through our church app, Church Center, or on our website. There's a link on the front page to give online and you can use that uh, as well. And then I want to turn our attention now to God's Word and our scripture reading from this, for this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll start reading in verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Now let's, sting to, let's stand and sing together, continue singing praise to the Lord. All right. That worked out better. Let's all sing together, O Church Arise.
My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame. But in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross, I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him. Thank you. 
You may be seated. Senior high, those that are going into sixth grade this fall, they can be dismissed that for one more week after today. And then in two weeks, we pass back to our pre-COVID schedule so that worship will start at 9.30, get here a half hour earlier, and then we have our second hour of educational classes, Sunday school, and our Discovering God Hour for adults. This morning, we continue our series in the book of Proverbs. Now, we're almost finished with this series. In fact, we have just two messages after today, and then we're going to move on to a mini-series on the gospel itself, uh, primarily from the book of Romans, just five message, messages on the central tenets of the gospel. And then on se September the 19th, we begin a series through the book of Acts. But we are now in the book of Proverbs in the second major division of the book that goes from chapters 10 to 31. And those chapters are arranged topically rather than in a sequential manner. And so, over the last several weeks, we've been looking at various topics that are covered in these chapters, such as the way we communicate, the need to practice discernment, the necessity of dealing with our past. We've looked at anger, at work, at friendships, at money. And now today, we're going to look at honesty in our speech. A few years ago, National Geographic magazine ran an article titled, why we lie, the science behind our deceptive ways. The article describes several spectacular and sensational cases of lying which, if I'm honest about it, they made me feel good about myself. Because the truth is, as I read stories of politicians and their lies, or the lies of the crooked investor like Bernie Madoff, or the lies of the Olympic swimmer Ryan Lochte when he was caught in that embarrassing situation, at the 2016 Summer Games. And then I also read of a physicist who purported to have breakthroughs in molecular semiconductor research that proved to be fraudulent. All of those made me feel better about myself. And if you're honest, they make you feel better about yourself. They make us look good in comparison. But the article also says this. These liars are notoriety, notoriety because of how egregious, brazen, or damaging their falsehoods were. But their deceit doesn't make them as much of an aberration as we might think. The lies that imposters, swindlers, and boasting politicians tell merely sit at the apex of a pyramid of untruths that have characterized human behavior for eons. Lying, it turns out, is something that most of us are very adept at. We lie with ease, in ways big and small, to strangers, co-workers, friends, and loved ones. Our capacity for dishonesty is as fundamental to us as our need to trust others, which ironically makes us terrible at detecting lies. Being deceitful is woven into our very fabric, so much so that it would be truthful to say that to lie is human. Indeed. We might say that lying is human nature, or more accurately, lying is sinful human nature. That is, God did not, of course, design us this way. It's the way we are because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
as the Bible says. This morning, we're going to look at what the book of Proverbs says then about the importance of honesty. Now, each week we provide an outline for the message. You should have received that as you came in today. And I say, first of all, in that outline, that honesty affects everything. If you look at verse 17 of Proverbs chapter 12, verse 17, an honest witness tells the truth, but a false witness tells lies. Now, those might sound like tautologies, just repeating the same thing. An honest witness tells the truth, and you might say, well, duh, that's what an honest witness is, one who tells the truth. Likewise, a false witness tells lies, that's always the case. But it says this because it's emphasizing internal character that gives rise to external action. The one who tells the truth does so because he is fundamentally honest. The one who tells lies does so because of their character. And God takes it all very, 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 very seriously. For someone to use the gift of communication that God gave for deception is a very serious matter to God. In fact, notice this sobering list at the end of your Bible. At the end time, when God calls all who have failed to follow him before his judgment, the word of God says this. I saw a great white throne. He who was seated on the throne said, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. sulfur. Notice that liars are listed along with murderers and idolaters and the sexually immoral. It's saying that liars are in that category, that lying is that serious, and that those whose lives are characterized by lying will go to hell. Now, as I said, it's a sobering and scary thought. But friends, we need to be awakened from our lethargy about this because we too often tend to dismiss lying as something less serious as we talk about white lies or fibs, and we minimize it. Now, this passage in Revelation 20 and 21 is not saying that anyone who has ever told a lie will go to hell, because that would mean everyone would. And if you're someone who has habitually lied over the years, but has come to realize God's displeasure with that, and you're striving by God's grace to eradicate it, that's an indication that you're a child of God who has his Holy Spirit to lovingly convict you, and you should rejoice that that's the case. But if you're someone who regularly lies, without regard and without repentance, then you should be concerned about your relationship with the Lord. Now, we're going to pray in just a moment. I usually pray briefly toward the beginning of the message, but today I want to do something a bit different. We'll pray... But as we do, I want to encourage any Christians here who may struggle with honesty or any other sin that you're convicted about, take it to the Lord in confession, and the Bible says he promises to forgive. And I want to urge on some of you 
who may not be Christians because there's never been a decisive change in your behavior. So that you've continued lying or other things without the slightest pang of conscience. If that's the case, you've never been saved. But you can be today. Right now, in a few moments. You can be born again. Born from above is what that means in John 3, with God's Holy Spirit beginning His change project in you from the inside out, starting at that very sacred moment. Now, some of you may be anxious to do that because the passage about liars going to hell scared you. And I don't enjoy scaring people, of course. But if that's the effect of seeing that has on some so that you come to Jesus, I'm in fact delighted. The Bible says this, be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. That's what I'm trying to do here, to comfort those who are struggling with lying or other sins, saying that if you're struggling, that's a, a good sign that you know the Lord and you have His Holy Spirit, and for others saying that if you've not changed, after you claim to receive Christ, then you're in eternal danger. And I would rejoice with the angels in heaven if some were to genuinely receive him now and to be snatched, as it were, from the fire. And so we're going to give an opportunity for you to receive Jesus Christ when we go to prayer in just a moment. Often at the end of our service, we put what you see on the screen up, but I'm doing it now. The first step is to realize that you are a sinner. One of those manifestations of sin, as the Bible lays out in this list and it has others, is this propensity for lying. Realize that. It applies to you. Has there been a change, even if you have claimed to come to Jesus? If not, you haven't. And then you recognize what it is that God has done for you to rescue you. That's what saved means, rescued, delivered. To be a saved person means to be one who has been rescued from the consequences of sin. What we read about in Revelation 20 and 21 does not need to be true of you because God the Son, Jesus Christ, has come to do what is necessary to deliver you, to rescue you from that. And he did it by living the life that you were supposed to live. He made us to live that life that Jesus lived, a perfectly righteous life before God. And because he lived that perfectly righteous life, now he was qualified to die a substitutionary death on our behalf. And that's why we say he lived the, death, the, the life you were supposed to live, he died the death that you deserve. He did both of those for you. When you come to him and you say, Lord, I understand, I believe that I'm a sinner, and I believe that the only solution to that sin problem is God the Son, Jesus Christ, and what he did for me, I ask you to forgive me and I give my life to you. When you do that, you get two things. You get the righteous life of Jesus applied to you. You get the payment that he made on the cross applied to you as well. You have the righteousness of Christ. It doesn't mean that you never sin again. <laughs> Just ask my wife about me. 
But it does mean that God looks at you through the righteous life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that every sin you have committed or ever will commit is covered by the blood of Christ on the cross. You get both of those. And so you can receive that gift, the free gift of salvation, now. So that God begins that change project in you. And so that what we discuss now for the rest of this message, you can look at and say, Lord, I want to do that. I want that implemented in my life. So we go to prayer. Those of you who are Christians, confess the sin of lying or whatever it may be. Those of you who are not, take this opportunity, I urge you, to receive Jesus Christ as your deliverer. Let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you for another week where you have gathered us in your presence with your word open before us. Lord, we are already, early on in our look at your word, convicted and sobered by the reality of our sin, all of us, and what it took in order to pay for that sin. God the Son, come as man to do what we could not. We thank you for the love that motivated him to do that. We thank you for the grace that applies that to those who do not deserve it, all of us. Right now, you are graciously offering that gift. We thank you that for some of us, your Holy Spirit moved on our hearts at a point in time in the past, and we bowed our hearts and our lives before the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, the Holy Spirit, began changing us from the inside out. Lord, we would ask that that would happen right now for some in this room, that your spirit is moving upon them, that they are shaken from their lethargy to see how serious sin is, even things that we tend to minimize, you take so seriously, this issue of how we use the gift of communication that has come from you and is designed to emulate, emulate you. We thank you, Lord, for that, and we ask you to convict some of sin and draw them to yourself. As a result, Lord, may this be a room full of people who now desire to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ in every aspect of our lives. It's what you desire and it's what you deserve. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you have come to Christ today, the next step is for you to be baptized. Our next baptism is in November. We have a one-page application for that. It's at our desk that's at Welcome Center in the uh, lobby. I'd encourage you to pick that up, fill it out, and turn it in. So it's my hope that I'm now speaking to people who are Christians, and for whom, therefore, what we're going to see about honesty from God's Word is now going to resonate with you, and you want to take the practical suggestions that I'm going to make later in the message and apply them so you can make progress in your and our battle for truth. Now, at the time these Proverbs were written, there was ample opportunity to lie verbally with the tongue, because oral communication was most common, since overall literacy was probably low. So you read in the Bible more of speaking and hearing than you do of writing and reading. In fact, hear, H-E-A-R, is the most frequent command given in Proverbs. So words were a major art form. Old Testament scholar David Allen Hubbard said this, their way with words was their major art form, given the ban on idolatry, which tended to discourage their devotion to the graphic arts. Listen to their stories in Genesis and Samuel. 
Catch their fables and riddles in Judges. Follow their disputes in Job or Malachi. Grasp their similes and metaphors in Hosea and Jeremiah. Puzzle at their visions in Ezekiel and Zechariah. Tremble at their excoriations of iniquity in Amos and Isaiah. Warm to the love lyrics of the Song of Solomon. Lift your hands to the cadences of praise and the pathos of complaint of the Psalter. Marvel at the canny and winsome wisdom of Proverbs. Art, all of it, is art. But their facility with words and, ver and the verbal use of those words meant that there was an ever-present temptation to speak sinfully and for our purpose purposes today to speak falsely. We have the same temptations, though in different forms. We have so many ways to communicate quickly and thoughtlessly and sinfully and falsely on Instagram or Twitter or just texting, or email, or just plain talking. Now you see in the outline that there are four categories of things that honesty impacts. But I'm going to deal mostly with the first of those today. In fact, I'm not going to deal with the other three at all. And then we'll look at the others in some more depth next week. The first is this, that honesty has personal impact. One reason that the Bible warns so often about the use of the tongue is because sins of communication are unlike many others because they don't require any planning or special circumstance or occasion. If you're going to ambush someone to do physical harm, you have to plan it out and you have to look for the opportunity. If someone is going to commit adultery, they have to scheme and connive to ensure their sin remains secret. But sinning with the tongue and its social media extensions can happen pretty much anytime and anywhere. You can do it e without even thinking about it. It becomes second nature, and we may not even realize that we're doing it. Now, this personal impact that honesty has is a positive one, of course, for the honest person, but not so for the liar. Look at verse 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. An, on an honest person, one with truthful lips, is one who will gain a reputation that lasts. They won't get caught up in the tangled web that we weave when at first we set out to deceive. And they don't need to have a good memory because they know that whatever they said in the past, even if they can't remember it, they know it was true. And so they don't have to try to recall what they said to one person versus another. The habit of honesty becomes a foundation for life. And just like lying becomes second nature for the liar, truth becomes second nature for the honest person. But the benefits of honesty go beyond this life because the verse says they endure as long as the person lives and beyond. They benefit future generations and they're approved by the Lord. But the lying tongue, on the other hand, has no lasting value to his words. They may well have negative consequences for others, so impact in a negative way, but they don't go beyond the moment in terms of their value. They have no enduring positive value. We're supposed to use our ability to communicate to make a positive difference, to build up. The Bible says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful 
for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. But instead of helping, the lying tongue's words are worthless from a spiritual standpoint. And when it says they last only a moment, it's literally in Hebrew the twinkling of an eye. It's the brief instant when the light hits the iris just right and the eye flashes. Think about standing before the Lord to give an account for each of our words. When Jesus said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson says these are words that might be thought insignificant except for their revealing what is in the heart. Jesus is saying that every spoken word reflects the heart's overflow and is known to God. Therefore, words are of crucial importance. And what is considered lying biblically is broader than what we normally think of. Most of you know that one of the Ten Commandments, the ninth, says you shall not give false testimony about your neighbor. But that, taken with the totality of what the Bible says about honesty and lying, including in dozens of the Proverbs, is summarized well in the 16th century Heidelberg Catechism. Now, I remind you of what a catechism is. A catechism is a way to teach in a question-and-answer format. And so here's question 112 from the Heidelberg Catechism. What is required in the Ninth Commandment? And it says that I bear false witness against no man, twist no one's words, that I be no backbiter, speak, that is, speak spitefully about someone, or slanderer, that I do not judge or join in condemning any man rashly or unheard of. When it says or unheard of, that is, without hearing his side of the story. This means, I'm going to go on to see what Heidelberg says, but so far this means that we should have the humility to doubt our own conclusions about matters we can't prove. Friends, contrary to what you may think about yourself or that others may have told you, you do not have a sixth sense to judge character. Perhaps you sinned in judging someone or someones in the past, and you turned out to be right, and so that cemented you in the idea that I've got this sixth sense. But perhaps we will not know until the judgment how many times you misjudged the character of someone because you prejudged before getting to know them, or you attributed motives to them without proof. I'll say more about judging motives in a bit. Heidelberg goes on to say, but that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil, unless I would bring down upon myself the heavy wrath of God. Likewise, that in judicial and all other dealings, I love the truth, speak it uprightly and confess it, and that as much as I am able, I defend and promote the honor and reputation of my neighbor. Lying and what constitutes it is broader than what we normally think of. So much so that Lou Priolo, P-R-I-O-L-O, Lou Priolo, has written a little book called Deception. We carry it in our resource center, and I'm told they're ordering some additional copies in case anybody wants it, and I encourage you to get it. But I am, over the next few minutes, going to list some of the things that Priolo says in his book, Deception, about the various ways that we lie. 
And then we'll see how we can begin to overcome that sinful habit. So here are some types of lies. The first is an unproven or unknown so-called fact. That is, stating something as fact that you cannot prove to be true, whether about a statistic or a policy, but especially when you assess something about another person without absolute knowledge. It's a form of bearing false witness. I mentioned earlier that you don't have this sixth sense to judge people. I've been amazed and dismayed over the years at how many Christian people think they do, and so they feel at liberty to think things about people that they do not know to be true, and they often go beyond thinking them to sharing them. Now, it's wrong to even think them, and it's sinfully harming another to state them. I was once in the home of a good family who had a dispute with another church member. And they had asked me to come to try to ferret out the facts and mediate if I could. And as we talked, they recounted as facts things that were either untrue or at least were uncertain. And as I would point out the uncertainties and that there were other plausible, more positive interpretation of the other person's actions, one of the family members said several times to me, but what we're saying is possible. Well, sure, there's all kinds of things that are possible, but it's not okay for you or for me to conclude things about people that are just possible, especially of the negative variety. Always thinking the best about another person's motives is a requirement of Scripture. God demands that we always give the most charitable interpretation to another person's actions unless proven otherwise. In fact, the love chapter, known as the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, says this, Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. So one type of lie is stating an unproven or unknown matter as a fact. Another is judging motives. And the Bible says this, The Lord is the one who will expose the motives of the heart. We don't have the ability to do that. You can only know a motive is wrong when the action is wrong. I told you that years ago, I was accused of having false motives for otherwise good actions. One of those was greeting people at our church's events because that proved that I'm a politician. Anyway. I've said you don't have that sixth sense to judge character that you've convinced yourself that you have and that others may have told you that you have. You can only judge character when you see character in action and you evaluate it charitably, giving the benefit of any doubt. Here's a third way that we lie, just an outright lie. And you see several types of lies in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to give some passages from Genesis 3 where the first human lie occurred. Satan lied, and then humanity, having disobeyed God and following Satan in his lie, then lied to God as, as well. But there was an outright lie. When God had said, in the day you eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, you will surely die. And here's what the serpent said, you will not surely die. And so it's just an outright, an outright lie. But another type is an insinuation. And Satan does that as well. He insinuates something about, about God. Insinuation. Do we have that? Thank you. 
insinuation. And he insinuates something about the character of God when he said this. Here's why God told you that you would die. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, he's insinuating that God's not the great guy that he claims to be. He's holding something back from you. He's insinuating that. Now, we insinuate things about people all the time. When I hear people say something like, you know, I called him and he won't answer the phone. He won't answer the phone. Huh. Not just he didn't answer the phone. Not he can't answer the phone. He won't answer the phone. You all see the, you all see the slight insinuation there? See, when you say won't, that implies something about a willful act. And that's what's being communicated. Insinuation. Concealment. Again, that same passage in Genesis 3. God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and, and evil. Priolo says this, Satan told them their eyes would be opened, which they were, and that they would be like God, knowing good and evil, which is what happened, sort of. Their eyes were indeed opened, and they did indeed come to know the difference between good and evil. But unlike God, and this is what Satan neglected to tell them, Adam and Eve would know evil experientially. God indeed knows the difference between the two, but his knowledge of evil is not firsthand because he's never experienced it. He's never done evil. But they now did, and that was concealed. Or blame shifting. Again in Genesis chapter 3. The man and the woman sin. God comes, asks them, what have you done? And do you remember? This is how the narrative goes. God said, have you eaten from the tree? I commanded you not to eat from. The man said, the woman. First thing out of his mouth is to blame shift. It's the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman, first words out of her mouth are the serpent. Now what's implied in both of those, the woman, notice, Adam says the woman that you gave me. You put here. This is ultimately your fault, God. And then the woman says the serpent. And God, we all know who made the serpent. Blame shifting, not our fault. Pleading ignorance. The next chapter, after sin comes into God's world, now you have people deflecting in every way possible. One of those is pleading ignorance. As Cain is, murders his brother Abel, and God says this in Genesis chapter 4, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Or we make promises that we don't keep. Proverbs 25 speaks of those. Like clouds and wind without rain is a man who boasts of gifts he does not give. If you're somebody who's saying, I'll be there, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, you have the fastest right hand in the West, you raise your hand to volunteer, but you don't come through, empty promises. So you may be lying more than you had realized. So what do you do? Priolo gives several suggestions, guidelines for becoming truthful. The first is this, as I talked about at the beginning, are you born again? And then secondly, try to identify your style of lying. 
Do you traffic in unproven facts? Do you judge motives? Do you outright lie, insinuate, conceal, blame shift, plead ignorance, make empty promises? What's your characteristic way or ways of lying? And then make it your goal to be truthful. It's not enough to simply stop lying. God is not interested in us just being neutral in our Christian lives. He's not interested in us just not doing wrong. He positively requires that we do right. That means speaking truth. So it's not enough to simply stop lying. Lying, We must become a truth teller. So for example, if your style is blame shifting, then you change that so that when you're confronted with something that's wrong, you're now willing to humble yourself and take the hit that goes with it instead of shifting the blame. Confess. Clear your conscience with God and with others. Confess in the Bible means literally to say the same thing. Say the same thing about your sin that God says about it. No more excuses, little white lies, fibs. Earn back trust. You see, the people that you've lied to and with whom then you may have gained a reputation as somebody who's not reliable, you go to those people, you ask for their forgiveness, they should grant that forgiveness. But understand, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Trust has to be earned back over over time. And so you consistently act in honest ways to earn back trust. Two more, identify your idols. You see, there's an idol behind why you're lying. Your idol is something you desire to have or that you fear losing. You may lie because you desire to be seen as the person with the latest news or gossip the one who knows what's going on all the time. Or you may fear losing something, losing face if you're caught in an embarrassing situation. Or apply it to a child. A child may fear losing playing time if he tells the truth about whether he did his homework. Starts early. And then lastly, seek accountability. If you have a problem with this, and God the Holy Spirit has shown that to you, then identify a friend, a trusted friend, who has your best interest at heart, who will hold you accountable. If you're accountable to others in this life, you'll have less to account for in the next. Now, these are all personal effects of honesty and then, conversely, dishonesty. Personal effects on us and in our interpersonal relationships. But there's also societal impact, and that's the next three points I have in your outline. I'm going to deal with those next week, but I'll give them to you now because I know some of you are not going to be able to sleep tonight unless you have a complete outline filled out. <laughs> so B is this, it has legal impact, it has political impact, it has economic impact, legal, political, economic. Honesty affects everything and honesty reflects the most important thing. We should desire honesty for more than pragmatic reasons. Verse 22. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. 
You see, too often we tell the truth for good but inferior reasons. We tell the truth primarily for its horizontal benefits, for its benefits to us, its benefits to other people. We say things like, cheaters never prosper, or honesty is the best policy. Now that's good, it's just not the best motivation. Our ultimate goal should be God's approval. And we gain that when we pursue the most important thing, namely, to reflect God's character. That's what we were created for, and that's what we're being recreated for as Christians. The Ten Commandments are a reflection of God's character. We don't steal because we believe all belongs to God. We don't commit adultery because we find our satisfaction in God. We don't murder because God is life. We don't covet it, covet because God gives us all we need. We don't lie. We don't bear false witness because God is truth. This lying impulse that we sinners have is, like all sin, a distortion of the character of God. It's using a capacity that God gave us for His good purpose of displaying His character as His image bearers, and we twist it for our own ends. He is the communicating God, and He made us with the ability to communicate, but sin causes us to use that ability in distorted ways, including our lying. I mentioned David Allen Hubbard earlier. He says this, without saying so directly, Proverbs implies that words, the gift of intelligible, unambiguous, and reciprocal communication, are expressions of God's image within us. We can say, I and you, to God and to each other like no other members of the creation. This means that with all else that makes for true humanity, our capacity for speech is not a human achievement, but rather a divine legacy. Lying is a deliberate, willful misuse of both the God-given power of speech and the God-ordained principle of neighbor love, which is the inevitable, inevitable obligation of those made in God's image. The most important human character is, characteristic is that we are all, whatever our sex, race, age, status, or culture, made like and for God. This monumental reality should bind us together in worship of God and in respect for each other. Lying assaults this reality in both its divine and human dimensions. It is one of the most insidious byproducts of our fall into sin. Honest speech, on the other hand, is an essential part of our commitment to be what the Creator made us to be, reflectors of God's truthfulness and protectors of the life and reputation of His people. So here's your take-home truth. Honesty is necessary, both spiritually and socially. We will look at the social aspect next week. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity now to have been before your word, in your presence, and to consider these sobering matters, very serious matters, as they indicate our relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this time to bring some to yourself if you've not already done that. And, Lord, that every person here within the sound of my voice, both here watching us on live stream, 
people to bow themselves before the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask you, God, the Holy Spirit, to, to do your work, the, the work that only you can do in each of us then, to show us the error of our way, to convict us of it, even in its so-called small expression, so that we can grow in you, so that can we, we can replace, put off the old man and put on the new man, put off lying and put on truthfulness. As a result of that, may people see Christ in us, the purpose for which we were made and have been saved. We pray in his name. Amen. Let's stand now for our closing song. Yeah.
The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, CBC family and guests, for being with us. Have a great week serving. <laughs>